Hi and welcome to The Cloud Show. My name's Jez Back and with me as ever is my trusted and tremendous co-host, David Organ. Hello. And as usual, we're going to be taking a little look at some hot news items uh, in the technology area, specifically within the cloud industry. And we're going to lift the lid and look a little deeper and see what's going on. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to take a specific area. Uh, this week, we're doing a special on carriers and cloud. And then we're going to dive right down into it and also have some really good and special guests to help us navigate our way through. So since there's a lot to get through, uh, I think it'll be easier if we have just one high-powered guest this week. One high power. Just guess. one high power. Guess this All week. right, I'll just kill the other one. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, remove, <laughs> gone, remove them there. Gone. Where's, where's the lever? But before we introduce them, I think we need a bit of social media action. We do. We always love to hear from you. So please get in touch. You can reach us using the at compare the cloud or the hashtag the cloud show. So please send us uh, your messages and tell us what you think. Yeah, and we definitely need to hear from you because there's going to be a challenge for you later on, that's for sure. That's right. Definitely. Quite so, a challenge. Now, let's get on with the show. Firstly, I'd like to introduce our guest, Stuart Evers. He is the Chief Commercial Officer from Turk Telecom International. Welcome, Stuart. Thank Welcome. you very much, guys. Thank All you. the way from Budapest. All the way from Budapest, indeed, yes. Now, before we get into this, I think we need to clear something up. We've got Turk Telecom and we've got Turk Telecom International. Correct. What's the difference? Okay, international. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you're quite right. So, Turk, Tele Turk Telecom is our parent company. Uh, we're 100% owned. Um, and as the international wing of the company, uh, of the group, we do all of the activities of the group outside of Turkey. So, we do all of the procurement, and we do all of the sales. And we, unlike our parents, are only a wholesaler. So, we only deal with other, so we're a pure carrier. We only deal with other, with other telecommunications companies. Um, and one of the key things that we do, um, uh, apart from um, buying and selling and uh, with third parties, is that we build a network, the international capabilities for our parent company, TT. Which, as we were talking a little bit before we came on air, I believe may be the oldest telecommunications company in the world. Yeah, so, so is it BT claimed they were the oldest from 1846, yes. but... But in 2015, we celebrated our 175th anniversary, which would make us 1840. I think. 1840, yeah. So I think we're older. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, controversy straight away. Uh, well, I mean, let's, you can ask your audience, maybe they can disprove that. But from what I could see, I think maybe we are. There you go, challenge number one, which is the oldest telephone uh, carrying company, or not necessarily telecom, but communications company in the world. Is it Turk Telecom or, and its affiliate names before that, or is it BT or its affiliate names before then? That's a good challenge for you out there. But, Let's move on and on. Let's, yeah, let's you want to know what's in the news? Let's, let's do a bit of news. Come on, right. let's hear well, it out. The first, the first item I have for you today is about bad bots. Bad who, bots. Bad bots who are increasingly hiding out in cloud data centers. So bots became a household name uh, last year in the wake of the alleged Russian election meddling in the US and their inordinate presence on social media platforms. Humans accounted for nearly 58% of website traffic in 2017. The rest were good and bad bots. So I should emphasize you've got the good and the bad. So, so you do have and good probably bots. probably the ugly. Well, yes. <laughs> um, no comment. <laughs> so, so let me define what a bad boss is. Uh, these are the ones that execute online fraud, data theft, and distributed denial of service attacks, or DDoS, that mm -hmm. we've heard something about. Um, despite more awareness, as well as moves by Twitter and others to purge them, they continue to dog e-commerce systems and involve their tactics to evade detection. But according to new analysis of bot activity by Distal Networks, uh, they found that 5.8% of all mobile devices on cellular networks are used in bad bot attacks. Now these are 
quite a lot more advanced because they're on mobile devices um, and sophisticated because they are less likely to get detected. Uh, overall, 74% of bad bot traffic today is considered to be sophisticated or moderately sophisticated. But operating out of a cloud data center is all the rage for butt runners. Uh, it's inexpensive to spin up a cloud server, for example, and it appears legit. Okay, right, so right, before we go into the whole cloud data center thing, come on, Stuart, mobile devices, you guys, carriers have got a big old responsibility to carry about security, uh, you know, across the whole piece, you know, carrying data and all that thing and making sure people's personal security is all done. What's your take on all this? Well, I believe that um, <coughs> you know the the instances of um, hacking, um, the instances of accessing data, and particularly we saw recently with Facebook, etc. I think that these are on the increase. Um, I think that there, you know, there we see there are two types of sort of hacking or unauthorized access. There's the opportunistic ones, where people just see an opportunity, and they and they can just sometimes be nuisance. Um, and then there's the ones that are orchestrated, particularly for monetary gain. Mm -hmm. That can be either to defraud somebody, um, a person or a company, or to create um, a model whereby they uh, can demonstrate potential fraud, and then the company actually has to pay to actually give for, to, for them not to do it, or to give them the code, or, or to give them the back door, or how they got in. So <clears throat> these are the two types that we, that we look at. The, the opportunistic one is more difficult to legislate against, obviously. And the opportunistic one is usually down to people. The people are the mm. biggest weakness in any security system, yeah. um, unfortunately. And uh, regardless of what we do uh, to secure our networks, you, generally it's, it's people who, who either um, on purpose or simply by accident or negligence um, are, the big, are, the weakest, are the weakest link in that network, unfortunately. Um, and there isn't really too much you can do about that sometimes. So. Okay, but so, so j just help me um, understand. So when you start looking at more organized attacks, I mean, what, what, what defenses or things do you guys put out there in order to help that? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of people at home who are sort of business users rather than pure technologists. So help them understand that carriers are good and they're not just sort of going, yeah, whatever, yeah, we're just here to money. Well, I mean, um, one of the one of the things I mean, we do with a lot of, of things, but one of the things we're looking at now is uh, sort of next generation stuff, is uh, elliptical curve encryption, and um, we're actually sort of our, uh, through our parent TT, we're actually hoping to run a project on that, going to kick it off actually probably in the next week or so. So, what is elliptical curve encryption? Right, good mm. question. Now, I'm not an engineer, and there's been several court cases to prove that. But <laughs> <laughs> I will give you a, I'll give you my layman's uh, interpretation of it. So. Um, when, we, when we have data, and let's say a simple example, we're logging into our email. So we've got our, our username and our password. And that information is stored somewhere. And when we want to access it, we actually have to send the information back and forth. When it's stored somewhere, or when it's passing along the network, it's open to being hacked, right? Somebody can get access to mm -hmm. it. And we saw that this happened with Yahoo a few years ago, mm -hmm. right? Huge amount of usernames and passwords were taken. What elliptical curve encryption does is that it doesn't store that data which is valuable. It actually maps the data onto an elliptical curve, which then creates a prime number, and it's the prime number which is sent back and forth. And the prime number merely proves yes or no, binary, one zero, if this is actually the data. So if you do access, the, if you somehow can access the information, all you get is meaningless binary code, binary, sorry, a meaningless prime, meaningless prime number, it doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have value as, let's say, your username. Mm -hmm. So that's what that that in a nutshell is elliptical curve encryption. That's pretty cool. That's very it cool. is pretty cool. So 
I mean, you take it onto the cloud data center gig, and you, know, you hear the stories of people going into an AWS region, spinning up thousands of data centers, and, and off they go. But there's lots of things out there that people are doing in order to sort of work against that. I mean, yes, there's loads of DDoS attacks that go on, but now you know, the, the sophistication of security products is getting way better. I think what's going to be much more interesting is, is at the edge. So devices being used, you know, so your, your, your iPhone, your iPad, even IoT devices and the rest of it being used as part of the DDoS, I think that's a much bigger threat profile than, uh, than, than spinning up whole bits of AWS or Amazon. Or well, again, or, it, it, it entirely depends on the attack, doesn't it? So yeah. if someone's trying to, to break encryption, is brute force. If they're going for DDoS, again, it's pure numbers. Yeah. Uh, that's where it's come out in a lot of IoT and uh, devices that are easy to hack because the password is hard-coded or something like that. Um, but when it comes to sort of this uh, digital handshake, uh, which is very important because we're always transacting, yeah. uh, and that's where other technologies, which I might get onto in my next item, uh, come in. Well, go on then. Let's move on. Let's move on. Go on. Okay. So, as you might guess, the next item is uh, blockchain. Oh. So, uh, blockchain turns Pied Piper's internet fiction into reality. So you may recognize the Pied Piper brand. A, a fan of Silicon Valley That's from HBO. right. So for all you fans out there of the Silicon Valley show, uh, this will make, well, a lot of sense. And for those that haven't watched it, firstly, watch it, and then this story will make more sense. <laughs> uh, so this is the hit HBO uh, TV show, Silicon Valley, which places fictional startup Pied Piper uh, in the scene. And their business pivots at... I forget which season, season four. It's the end of season one, um, I think. End of season one? Yeah. Mm, I think we'll, we'll have to look that up or send it out to the audience yeah, to yeah, tell yeah. us. I think it was later. I think they pivot twice. They do, they, a do mine, pivot. They, they do a minor pivot at the end of season one, <laughs> and they do their major pivot at the end of season three. Season one was middle out. Yeah, mm. that's right, middle out. Um, so built on top of people's smartphones is the idea that they use blockchain or they, use, they create a peer-to-peer -peer network that's built on people's smartphones. Uh, the idea effectively cuts out the need for servers in huge data centers. So this could spell the end of cloud. Uh, now, while blockchain technology began by removing third-party banks from financial transactions, it has progressed to removing third parties from other digital processes, including cloud-based storage and applications. So you see where I'm going here. Yeah. Uh, so a new crop of startups, including Gollum, Hollow, uh, Swelds, iExec, uh, Economic Space Agency, Sonom, and IOTA uh, are the type that are disrupting the cloud computing industry by using blockchain-derived software to capitalize on underutilized consumer compute power, replacing remote servers altogether. And breathe. <gasps> <laughs> yes, so uh, essentially these, these companies are building infrastructure for consumers and enterprise to run their applications, whether they be uh, database functions or uh, front-end applications, without the need for servers. So it's distributed compute. Uh, a lot of the devices, mobile devices, as they become more powerful, a large amount of the time that compute is underutilized. Yeah. So this is a way of democratizing, uh, essentially, the uh, computing power so that people can self-host a portion of an application or a portion of a database. Yeah, so, so uh, this, is one of the, this is one of these interesting conversations, isn't it? 
this is kind of touched on the serverless gig. Yep. It touches on blockchain. It touches on you know death of cloud and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that I think there will always be a need, certainly at the enterprise level, for you know the data center, you know cloud provision stuff. But there is definitely a whole thing that's going to disrupt, especially in the retail e-commerce line, FMCG type goods. You know, actually, you know, things that are actually out on the market for people can buy and sell commodities, where these things will shift out mm -hmm. to the edge. And we, in season two, which is coming up soon, uh, you know, whilst we're doing a special for this one, we have got a second season coming. We are going to do one on on cloud and the edge, and there's a whole thing that can be done around here. I mean, so Stuart, I mean. From a carrier's point of view, you know, all this traffic that's now being expected to be put, you know, point of presence, so all the cellular towers, all of that investment, I mean, wh wh how's that impact on you guys? That's a very interesting question. I mean, specifically talking about the, um, the Pied Piper type network you were talking about there, um, two, two things have struck me about this from the carrier perspective. Um, one is just in terms of generic network security. One of the things that we look at is entry points to a network. And the less amount of entry points you have, the theory is the more secure you can make the network. So by the description that you gave there with multiple access points, and maybe access points which are not by their very definition controlled, um, would suggest that there's more of a risk of network breach. I know we're using the blockchain uh, technology, it's using cryptographic links so that hopefully you couldn't hack the data. But as we said earlier, with people involved, and you've got more people involved as well, each with their mm -hmm. own personal s computer, it, it certainly would raise a question that I, I think we would need to we would need to look at before we would, we would engage with this at a commercial level. And <coughs> the second point um, I wanted to make was a purely carrier thing. I mean, one of the issues that we have, or one of the things that we work on a lot, is future-proofing networks to make sure that we have the capacity to carry this huge data uh, into the future. So we need to build, we need to network plan, we need to invest heavily, and we need to know uh, where to do that. If the network is distributed, um, um, and s distributed at somewhat at a random basis from this description, it makes that network planning significantly more difficult. Yeah. Because right now with clouds, I mean, I think you know, one man's cloud is another man's data center, right? Mm -hmm. It's another man's server. It has to exist physically somewhere. Building infrastructure to those points isn't, as I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's an easier thing to do because you have a fixed point, you can plan, you, you have an idea of what the capacity is going to be, and then you can build accordingly and make sure that you have enough capacity going into that point, linking it into, into, the, into the greater global network. If you have a distributed network, it makes that planning more difficult. Yeah, that's where the whole serverless thing's going, right? Yeah. And yeah. serverless ain't going to go away. No way. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that, that would be my two... Uh, my two takeouts from, from that brief description there. Yeah, so I mean, the thing I'm, I'm kind of keen to, just to, to look into is 5G's coming, right? Yep. So, you know, people say, right, we've got LTE, which is what most people call 4G. Um, and then you, know, you get LTEA and LTA plus, I think, from memory. Yeah, the, the, that's what the 5G bit, where suddenly 4G, you're running at 20 to 30 megabits per second, you know, then you're going to hit 5G. And we're, we're talking, jumping up to you know, hundreds of megabits per second, up to gigabits per second yeah, as it starts advancing through. That means people at home, they're going, to, they're going to lose their BT landline and their Virgin landline or Sky or whoever it is who's providing them. They're just going to go mobile and just have repeater stations around their own homes. Yeah, so suddenly there's a, a change for the, for the carriers about how they have to distribute the last mile. Well, it's interesting because we, we 
I've looked at this technology before, and um, generally speaking, wired tech is slightly ahead of the curve of wireless. Mm. So perhaps we can look at boosts in the amount of data or the bandwidth that can go down both copper and fiber into the home. And given the explosion in content, people will always go for yeah, I mean, it's one of those the more things, reliable, the, the higher, yeah. the, the bigger. The, the, so the, the more you've got, the more you've got to fill the gap. I don't think this is going to kill off uh, traditional telco-style businesses of pipes into fixed locations. I mean, I'm, we've got no, the net. So I would agree. That, the, the, the bit I was going with this actually is then you take that and you say, well, what are the the physical infrastructure implications? at the last mile and the point of presence. Yeah, you've got these cellular towers, which people have disguised mm -hmm. them as trees and they're putting them in church spires and stuff like that. Top of building blocks. Yeah, but you know, what's the implication on the infrastructure? Well, um, it's interesting. So just uh, the point you were making earlier about uh, BT, right? It's interesting, that's a, that's a Western European view. Uh, in Eastern Europe, which is where, Central Eastern Europe, which is where, where I now live and have lived for the last couple of decades, it's a completely different business model because when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed and at the end of communism, uh, fixed penetration was anything from 20 to 30 percent. And that coincided with the launch of mobiles as we know them now. So people just didn't bother getting um, fixed lines. So actually fixed line penetration, for example, in the Czech Republic at one point it was as low as 22 percent. Um, and it's interesting the point that you made, um, actually fixed penetration is, was in, on the increase with fibre to the home. So they were going from a very low base. So it was a completely different model. So in actuality, the uh, advent of fiber to the home, fiber to the business actually is increasing fixed penetration. It's gone up again now. I think it's somewhere around 30, 32% now. So it's still pretty low though, right? Mm. Well, yes it is, but you have to remember where they were coming from, right? They were coming from a situation where you had an extremely uh, low uh, fixed penetration. And then somebody has the option of going with what was seen as old stymie technology from a former state company, or you can go and get this new, cool, Western mobile phone, all right? So they went for mobile phones. Um, in, terms of the, in terms of the network build, I mean, those in the technology industry know that um, mobile is only mobile for the last 100 meters or something. <laughs> yeah. Or however near you are yeah. to the nearest tower. Yeah. In actuality, it's a fixed network, right? So and for those, maybe non-techies who are watching it, um, it's kind of interesting, your mobile phone is actually only mobile for that short period. If you're calling to China, for example, from the UK, it's mobile for the first couple hundred meters to wherever the nearest tower is, and then it goes on a fixed network until it gets to the nearest tower where your colleague in China is, right? So it goes on a fixed network. So that makes it, and going back to my original point, that makes it a bit easier to plan and to build mm -hmm. because we know where the towers are going to be, we know where they need to be, and then we build fixed infrastructure to those towers. Um, interestingly, at the moment in Turkey, and you mentioned um, uh, 5G, so Turk Telecom, um, we were the last to launch our LTE network within the country, but we actually launched the best one, it's the fastest speed. Um, just ask Cristiano Ronaldo, who actually <laughs> uh, advertises it on Turkish television. Um, but now, obviously, we need, we're coming to uh, 5G. 5G is on the horizon. Now, our group CEO, Paul Duani, um, our, strategy, our chief strategy officer, Firat, and our chief technology officer, Cengiz, they are great advocates of network sharing and infrastructure sharing. So to go back to your original question, there is a huge strain, not just on network, but a huge strain on CapEx, right? The, the money required to build this yeah, network yeah. out. Um, so 
they're great advocates of working with, um, let's say, our former competitors, but now they will be our um, co-builders in this new infrastructure within Turkey. Yeah, this is the whole ecosystems co-opetition yes. thing that we discussed yeah. in a couple of episodes ago, yeah, yeah. which I'm, I'm massively in favour of. I think it's a, a, the yeah. only way, As really. well as open standards, everybody benefits. Yes, open standards, but not necessarily open source. No. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, one of, the, one of the key things about it is it's cheaper, it's environmentally more friendly because you've got one tower instead of three or four towers, depending on the number of mobile operators. Um, and you can, um, you can have better quality of service, more defined services. And if you look at telco or telecommunications as, let's say, a keystone industry, that is an industry which promotes gener the general economy and GDP growth, it's important for Turkey. Turkey, I think at the moment, is one of the fastest growing or maybe the fastest growing major economy in the planet, with GDP about 11%, which is phenomenal. But a large part of that is driven by technology-based organizations, technology-based companies. And even if you're not technology-based, you still need your mobile phone and your computer mm. to do business. Absolutely, so. yeah. So, I mean, I, mean, I think we, 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 we've pretty much got into the main meat of the subject here because yeah, over the last 20 years, I think it's fair to say that continuous technical transformation uh, and information waves have driven a high level of growth in the telecom industry. You know, when you look around at you know, connectivity, capturing a small portion, a proportion of the information value chain, whilst you know, things like content, service, products, you know, they all capture more. You know, I, I don't think it's so much of a broad prediction to say that you know, one or more of the major telecom companies could actually be even be acquired by a content company in the next three to four years. You, know, you look at Google, you know, they're laying their own fiber, you know, undersea cables at the moment. It is, there is a very real chance of that happening. Further things like IoT, mobile, are adding billions of new connected data sources, you know, globally around the year, every single year, you know, every day it's all coming and making it bigger and better. You know, so what comes with that astronomical growth? Well, astronomical data volumes as well. And telecom companies, you know, they're at the heart of this challenge. Uh, and there's also a huge security challenge that goes with it. And as custodians of those networks, you know, carriers will play a pivotal role about, about, about fighting those threats as they're emerging. So you know, customers will expect and demand much more proactive uh, protection from the entire internet value chain, and carriers will be expected to support those demands with a range of technical and operational innovations, or frankly, they, found, they find themselves in the risk of failing. So what can they do about it? After that little diatribe, I, I wanted to start with a non-technical question in this area. So, Telcos are moving into cloud. That's pretty obvious. We've seen a number of those moves. Yes. But do you think that, that telcos are, are, are in the right place at the moment in terms of skills? Or is there a skill shortage? Or is it process? You know, is this an HR problem or something deeper and more cultural that, that telecoms have got to transform themselves to really get their, their feet into this market? I, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any one thing. I think there's a, there's a, and it also depends on the telco, right? So some telcos are far more advanced in cloud and, um, um, you know, network, um, software, as in software network development and stuff like that than others. Some have much more skill sets. Some have a more traditional technology background and others who are more traditionally a telco uh, doing B2C, et cetera. So, but in terms of, in terms of, I could speak from, from, our, from our company perspective, um, yes, we, we, would have, we would have a skill shortage in that, in that area uh, because traditionally um, with any new technology um, there's always a limited number of people who have expertise in that and when there's a scramble to, to launch these products and get it out there and particularly like four years ago everybody was talking about cloud, right? 
not everybody knew what it was, but everybody was talking about it. Uh, much, the much the same as blockchain now. You know, everybody's mm -hmm. talking about it, but not so many people actually understand what it is. Um, so getting a hold of those experts is difficult, and you're also facing competition from the really big guys like Google, uh, Facebook, Microsoft. And we've actually lost some of our key people to companies like that. Um, and I think that the that there is a skill shortage. Um, also, telcos are not seen as the sexiest places to work. You know, it's not like going to work for Google. You know, we don't have pool table. And uh, <laughs> I was going to say in the rec room, we don't have a rec room. So, um, kitchen, that's kitchen, no, no, kitchen. That's about it. Um, so it is. So there is there is that challenge for sure. Um, and then also, I think defining strategy in this area for telcos is off, often difficult. And as you know, you need to you need to define strategy first, then you organizational structure, then execution. And I think defining the strategy, because we're not, I think a lot of us are a bit schizophrenic in this, we don't know where exactly we should be. Should be enablers? Certainly as a carrier, as a wholesale carrier, we're enablers, right? So it's clear. But for our parent TT, right? TT has its own cloud-based business, right? TT has 98% share by customer in the enterprise market. So they are a massive player, right? And defining then, um, should they take the lead? Should they be facilitators, et cetera? These things are, are difficult to define. Um, I think um, in the last year or so, we've made great strides in defining this and that we actually will be technology leaders. Um, and, but, and now the challenge is getting the right people in place and executing. We are filling the gap with the skill sets by doing partnerships. Um, and as I mentioned, we're, we're, we have a, uh, the elliptical curve encryption stuff that we're going to do, we're actually partnering with, an, with another company actually based here in the UK and in Dublin. Um, so uh, we're sort of filling this skill gap a little bit in this way because, you know, the worst thing you can do is try to do everything. You end up usually doing nothing. Mm. So we're actually just trying to f f uh, focus in on things that we can do and partnering with companies that can enable us to do that. Because at the end of the day, all we want to do is have best-in-class services for our customers and if we can do that through partnering with others, we're more than happy to do that. No, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've certainly got a question that's slightly to one side of that. Um, the conversation now is shifting about services moving to the edge. So essentially keeping traffic off large portions of the network, mainly because of the physics, the time it takes for the data to go to uh, a da data center to be processed, stored, retrieved, yep. whatever the, the transaction is. Um, and that's actually being handed back down to the device to be done locally. Um, autonomous cars, prime example, they have to react quicker than perhaps a network could. Um, so effectively, what are, what are the challenges that telcos and carriers um, are facing and how are you going to meet that problem? Is it even a problem or is it an opportunity? I think it's, I wouldn't say it's a problem, it's an issue that has to be addressed. So. <coughs> If you, if you look at the example of Turkey, it has a young, well-educated population, <coughs> very much um, the smartphone generation, right? And they demand, they require best-in-class service, right? They mm -hmm. don't want to uh, wait to download something. They don't want to wait to watch a video and th things need to be uploaded immediately. And then that's the same for businesses. So <coughs> what we've been doing in terms of um, backbone build is that we have been um, bringing the for example, um, the IP, we've been bringing those, um, those uh, POPs nearer to TT's mm. infrastructure. POPs meaning points of presence, by the yeah. way, people. Yes, indeed. So we, 
we recently, um, um, are one of the members of CMEWE5, which is a, a huge um, sea cable which runs from Asia to Europe. It lands in Turkey, in um, uh, Italy, and in Marseille in France. And what traditionally what we would have done in the past was that we would <coughs> take TT's network to Frankfurt, or one of the big telecommunications hubs, and they would acquire international IP there. But what we've been doing recently, and it goes right back to what you were saying about the mm -hmm. edge, we now are acquiring that in the data center in Marseille. So they've actually moving data centers to the network. So the data center is co-located with the cable landing station. So then rather than hopping from Frankfurt yeah. to Marseille to Istanbul, it's now just one just hop across the... the latency. Yeah. Exactly, right across the Mediterranean. And this is what we're trying to do. So we've brought some other IP nodes right into, let's say, Bulgaria and Romania, which is right on Turkey's doorstep. And again, it's to improve the quality of service and to, to move that to move those network edges uh, closer to the to the, to to the network that actually requires it, requires it as a raw material. Cool. Right. That, that's been pretty cool. Yeah. We're running out of time. We are. But before we do, I think we need to have a bit of fun. <laughs> the famous sci-fi quiz is back, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so five questions, Stuart. Five questions. Uh -huh. uh, if you get it right, just shout. You know, if you if you if you get your answer, just shout it out. If you get it wrong, we'll pass it on to you guys on social media. See if you can get the answer. We won't give the answer at the end of this episode, but we will give the answers to anyone that Stuart doesn't get in the next episode. Uh, and I'll invent some sort of competition and prize about who can be the smartest. And you'll get your own shout out to me on the TV show. So there you go. Incentive. So here we go. Okay, so these are sci-fi questions. So these are sci-fi questions. And I already told you I'm not an engineer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You'll be fine. Okay. So in which film does Robert De Niro play a terrorist plumber named Archibald Harry Tuttle? Um, Brazil. Yes. Yes. Yep. Terry Gilliam film. Excellent. Great. My go. Go on. Uh, what kind of poetry is annoying in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, it's the guys who destroy planet Earth, right, isn't it? The Correct. Volgons? Yay! Look at this, two Not out of five. Yeah, we've Not, been yeah. up. Yeah, you never trust this. Okay, what kills the aliens in the film Evolution? Oh, uh, it's, it's body washer dandruff shampoo or something, isn't Ooh. it? Whoa, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that anti-dandruff shampoo. Yeah, we'll uh, give you that anti-dandruff shampoo. On a roll. Nice, three in out which, of five. In which film are believers in alien life forms are obsessed with Devil's Tower? Um, right, this is... It's uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There we go! Yay. Okay, this is a tough one. Okay. I'll be very impressed if you get this. Okay. Who wrote the sci-fi cla uh, classic, The Kraken Wakes, also known as Out of the Deeps? I don't know. There you go, open out to you. So, this is something you can answer. Who was the author of The Kraken Wakes? No Googling, only if you know it. And if you can be able to live tweet it in the show uh, and you guess it within a few seconds of us putting this out there, shows mm -hmm. you A, you're watching, and B, you haven't Googled it. So make sure you do it. Hashtag the clown show. Stuart, this has been brilliant. We have run out of time, but you have been a fantastic guest. Thanks very much for coming on. My pleasure. A couple of really interesting things out there. First of all, about what the telecom carriers are doing about managing security yeah, around elliptical. Mm -hmm. uh, there is the huge amount of infrastructure challenge and how telecom uh, carriers are going about that, as well as the skills and cultural challenge as well. Lots to get through. We could easily have gone for another hour on that one. So we probably have to follow up on that one. Stuart, thank you again. David, thank you. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys. Do get in touch with us using the hashtag, the cloud, uh, hashtag the cloud show, and also at Disruptive Live and at Compare the Cloud. 
Thank you very much for watching, if indeed you still are.